0: Let's say this, everybody. Good. How many know? What do you know about Booker T. Washington? Just, uh, does anyone know much about him? Or uh, it's for a lot of people, he's a name that they that people hear, but they may not know too much about. Um, Booker T. Washington, very quickly, was um, was the foremost African American leader. Um, at the turn of the, of the 20th century, between roughly between 1890 and uh, 1915, for about a 25-year span there. And before I forget, let me mention that you know what we're looking at. This is a, a bronze bust of, of Washington by uh, Richmond Barthay, and it was done um, wasn't exactly done from life. It was done after life. It's a 1973 cast bronze cast after a a 1946 bust. Um, When I say not done from life, um, Booker T. Washington, his life dates are he was born in um, Franklin County, Virginia, which is just about 25 miles southeast of Roanoke, Virginia, and uh, that was in in 1856. He would die in 1915. And... um, he really was, in many respects, a, a self made man he wasn 't rich that wasn 't his gain his, his ambition, but he um, he basically uh, sold his education, everything he even sold his last name. He was born a slave in eighteen fifty six um, His father was white it is not much is known next to nothing is known about the father his mother 's name was Jane and his name was uh, was Booker, and he gave himself. Um, well, he remembered. He was just very young, but he remembered when emancipation came uh, in 1863, and uh, he remembered when the war ended. And he soon was taken off to with his uh, brother and sister to live with his stepfather in um, West Virginia. And there he went to school. And when uh, he heard the other students give their names, they all had last names, so he latched on to Washington. And that's, he gave himself his, his name. In any anyway, event, he moved, um, he, at the age of 16, he went to, um, enrolled in the Hampton Normal and Agricultural School uh, in Hampton, Virginia. and um, this is where he got his education, and he learned. Um, he was a quick learner. He worked his way through school. He uh, attended a, a briefly a, a seminary here in Washington for a year and then went back to, to Hampton, and it was his good luck to be named the head of a new normal school in Tuskegee, Alabama, the Tuskegee Normal School. And that's what he's really known for. Um, And he would spend the rest of his life as the the head, the principal of uh, Tuskegee, which is now Tuskegee University, a major um, Negro university like Fisk in Nashville, um, Howard here in in Washington. Um, He would make the school. He would uh, that first year. He, I remember, he he, uh, he wrote a very uh, uh, inspirational, at least I found, uh, autobiography called Up from Slavery. And he mentions in there. I mean, he started, he started in a in a in a school or in a church, and um, through fundraising and whatnot, the the students basically built the university. Uh, the goal was to his goal always was to to educate his race and um, and this for the most part was in the trades um, you know whether it be carpentry, bricklaying um, tailoring what not and it was the purpose was not to produce tailors and seamstresses and and carpenters and whatnot, it was, it was to produce teachers who could teach those trades and skills. And the reason he set these goals was he had, a, he had his finger on the pulse of the South and of the country in general. And he knew that um, if, if African Americans could establish themselves in these trades, they would be able to work their way into... Mainstream America, and uh, you know it was sort of one step at a time, and that's the way he built Tuskegee. Um, when he died, the endowment was was one and a half million dollars. Um, he worked very very hard uh, to do this, and sort of behind the scenes, he was. Uh, I remember reading from the autobiography, he was always writing uh, letters, uh, you know, for fundraising. And he got to know, um, he got to know many, many wealthy um, industrialists. Andrew Carnegie uh, supported uh, Tuskegee. Um, one of the, uh, the co-partners of Sears and Roebuck, uh, Julius Rosenwald, was a big supporter. And not only did they support Tuskegee, but through Washington's efforts, they supported these these industrialists and benefactors would support other schools throughout the South. Um, you know, actually, schools in which his teachers, leaving Tuskegee, would go into and would be able to teach. And through the, what became known as the Rosenwald Fund, a third of the, of the schools in the South for African Americans, remember, everything is, is segregated at this time, a third of those schools were, were funded through the Rosenwald Fund. That's the Sears and Roebuck partner, um, which is a tremendous accomplishment. Um, that was his aim, and he, he was very successful with it, to give you sort of a temper for the times of what he was up against. And I, I so admire this man. I, I remember when I read his diary, it was just... Um, I thought at the time, you know, every person should read this, this diary because he just... He just didn't give up. He, you know, he took things one step at a time and, and succeeded. But to give you an, an example of the temper of the times, there are a number of versions of the story, and the one that I remember best was that he had an appointment to see Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore Roosevelt, in 1901 at the White House. And they had their meeting, and it was dinner time. Dinner time as I recall, was, was the, as in many households, it was the noonday meal. And Roosevelt, being Roosevelt, thought nothing. He invited him to dinner. Well, it gets out in the next morning's paper, and this was unheard of for a, an African-American to be at dinner, to be seated at dinner in the White House. You know, Theodore Roosevelt never gave it a second thought um, he took a lot of heat for that, um, never apologized or anything. Um, but that's the temper of the times. And the governors of Mississippi and South Carolina, I mean, they, they said things that, that really are unprintable um, about this. I mean, it was just incredible. So that that's really what he was up against. And unfortunately, he, he came into... Um, with the with the start of the NAACP in 1909, he began to get some criticism from people like W.E.B. Du Bois, who thought um, Washington was, you know, was sort of selling the race short, selling African Americans short, was was an accommodator and a compromiser, and uh, Du Bois was. You know that's why. Why just stick with the trades? You know why not uh, go for you know the white collar jobs and all that. Um, that's you know that's a more modern approach. Was it a realistic approach in Washington's day? Probably not, because Washington had success. Uh, du Bois ended his career not in the states, he, he was so free he died in frustration I think in Africa and um, so, so Washington really uh, set an example for his time and i 'm wondering today if, if that would be understood i 've often wondered if, if, if you were able to do a Booker T Washington show, whether you would you would get that kind of criticism. if, if you praised Washington too much. Would you get people say, "Oh, you know, this, this show. you again, you're you're selling uh, African Americans short." Um, would you would would you would a curator take the heat the same heat he took? Um, to give you an example again, to sort of one one of the hardest things as a former teacher is to to have a sense of what a different era was really like. And it occurred to me we'll sort of wrap up with this. Um, Two events occurred. There were two anniversaries in 2007 that Virginia observed. One was the 400th anniversary of Jamestown. Two was the 200th anniversary of Robert E. Lee's birth. Now, what do they have in common? Well, really nothing except their, their Virginia anniversaries, But it suddenly struck me. It gave me a sense of time, of what 200 years is. Nobody can really, at least I can't, envision what 400 years is like. But what struck me was that when you think back 200 years, um, you know, in in 2007, this this was 1807, you know, Robert E. Lee, newborn, that's 200 years. Slavery, when, when Robert E. Lee was born, slavery had been entrenched, had already been entrenched in the United States for 188 years. That's a long time. Um, that is a real long time. So it wasn't the thinking, the mentality, the racism, it wasn't going to go away immediately. Um, and and just upstairs um, there's a a wonderful example of how far we've come and how sort of fast, how it has accelerated over the years, there's a um, a new time exhibit of um, presidents on time and this includes uh, Barack Obama and in that we have a a photograph of the the cover of time that came out right after the inauguration and it's the um, Time Magazine only put on, has only used two inauguration covers. Inauguration cover, I mean, of the president being sworn in. The first one was John F. Kennedy in 1961. The, the next one, the second one, was Barack Obama. Well, the coincidence there is that um, at Kennedy's inauguration, Barack Obama was a few months away from being born. He would be born the summer of, of 1961. And look at the progress that was made then at Kennedy's inauguration. Who would think that, you know, X number of years later, uh, Barack Obama would be on the same podium? Um, you know, we had—it uh, wasn't easy. We—through the 60s, you know, the civil rights era, the, the uh, but progress was made. The, the Civil Rights Act of, of 1964 was a major accomplishment, um, in some ways, it was the um, it was some of the legislation that Lincoln would have easily signed and if he if he had had a chance. Um, are there any questions about um, that? it in Booker a, T. In a, in a nutshell, there's there's so much more. I really would um, uh, encourage you to to pick up up from slavery. It's it's sort of an amazing book.
1: How did Washington respond to the the criticisms from the what I'll call the Du Bois camp of of his fundamental approach to to manufacture teachers in the trades? Um, How how did he respond to criticism from within the black community of that approach?
0: Well, he held his ground. He, um, you know, he he, you know, spelled it out. He said, I, you know, I. What he said was that that you're, you know, that's going to be the end of everything. If if, if you go for a more ambitious approach, um, that's going to be it. Um, they'll that will come back in a negative way and and hurt African Americans. Will just hurt the effort, kill the effort. And um, so he held his ground. He never apologized for that for his approach. And all. And it, you know, given his experience in the White House, that one visit, um, it's hard to argue with him in a way. And, and given what we know from, you know, 1901, how long it's taken uh, in the, the 20th century. Um,
1: was there ever any acknowledgement from the Du Bois camp um, that, that the ground that he broke was, um, I mean, it made, did it, it yeah. becomes possible for them to make their argument because he has established the validity of his argument?
0: Well, Du Bois was an early supporter of Washington. And then, um, you know, Du Bois moved on uh, in, in his thinking. And um, of course, I mean, you know, now that's, that's the modern train of thought. Um, but there's also nothing wrong with, with trade schools for, for anyone, um, you know. Um, so you can't, uh, you can't argue um, vehemently against Washington's approach for anyone um, and uh, But he truly was a, a self-made man, and I, I just admire him so much for... Um, for what he did and it's it's a name that as I said you know Booker T Washington we all know but what exactly did you know did he stand for and all now the, unfortunately the the image this is what we the, this bust it's not from life that's, we we actually look for life sculpture um, in paintings and busts and if if you see we have two um, who statues or busts of George Washington, and uh, they are the closest you, in my judgment, you will get to actually seeing George Washington in the flesh. Um, that's life portraiture. Um, th- but this isn't bad. I mean that, that from the pictures that I've seen of Washington, this, this holds up pretty well, here. Well, good. Um, any more questions or?
1: Thank you all for coming this evening. Next week, we will have um, Louis Seidman here to speak about Thurgood Marshall. Um, Dr. Seidman is a professor at Georgetown University Law Center, but he was a clerk to Justice Marshall Mm. in the Supreme Court. So, you get a little different take on him, I think, than you might in some other places.
0: That should be fascinating, yeah. Thanks again for coming. Yes, thank you all. Thank you. Sure thing, you're welcome.